Hi, welcome to the ACA, Adult Children Voices Across America Speaker Meeting. If you'd like to attend this meeting live, go to adultchildren.org, click on Online Meetings, and then scroll down to find Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific Time. Tonight's speaker is Sarah O. from West New York, New Jersey. Thanks, friends. Thank you for the warm welcome. Can you all hear me okay? All right. Well, hi, everybody. I'm Sarah O. I'm a gratefully recovering adult child. I'm feeling the butterflies, the speaker butterflies. Uh, If there's any performers out there, you know, you kind of get those before you get on stage. But this is different. This is kind of like an opportunity to talk, trust, and feel that I don't get to do a lot of um, with a hundred people present that can relate to what I have to say. And it's not professional, it's completely spiritual. And um, I'm not sure where the 45 minutes are gonna take us. I have like a little bit of an outline, but I didn't didn't write anything out in much detail because I just kind of trust that Whatever I need to get off my chest, you know, whatever's on my heart and mind tonight, um, we'll speak to at least one person in the room. Oh my gosh, I'm loving seeing old friends that I haven't seen in a while. This is lovely. All right, so um, what I wanted to talk about was to kind of walk through and reflect on really for myself. Uh, my eight years in ACA. This is my anniversary month and I'm celebrating eight years. I can't believe it. I kind of always wanted to be like that old timer in ACA. You know, I feel like after you're like past a year, it's like nobody's been around for a year. Um, and now I'm at eight and um, it's, it's, it's pretty special. And it's been, it's been um, kind of a wild wild journey for me. I think I had several opportunities to stop coming back. Um, And I took one, but then I came back. And then after that, I just, I guess higher power always found uh, reasons for me to stay, you know? Um, So I hit my bottom. I was living in Indianapolis, which was not my home. It was where I ended up uh, for professional reasons, but also because my family dysfunction is tied to uh, moving, moving. Let's go over here and everything will be better there. Nope. All right, let's go over here and everything will change when we're there. Let's get a bigger house. Everything will be different when we get a bigger house. Um, and I, and I inherited that, you know, I grew up in different places. I grew up in France in two different parts of France. And then with my family, we moved to Texas. So I lived there for a really long time. Um, and then I got out of the home, you know, I got out of the dysfunction as soon as I could. So when I got to college, I made sure to not live at home 
And then when I could, I just left, you know, I just left Houston. Um, and I lived in different places and uh, found myself in Indianapolis. Digging myself into a hole of workaholism. It was, it was kind of like a quiet rage. Um, perfectionism, you know, trying to be the best employee, the new employee that could somehow be everyone's boss. <laughs> Just like no better than people who were there for three decades, even though I had only been there for a month. Um, very long hours. And I remember, I think looking back, I was feeling very lonely, but I didn't know and no one would have been able to tell. I was very social, you know, people pleaser. So I just, I kind of knew how to perform to make friends and to be around people, um, be the life of the party, you know, employee of the month, all that good stuff. So eventually I find myself in a therapist's office um, trying to go there for my partner for couples counseling. And the therapist told me to go to four meetings. And I was like, well, I don't need a meeting. <laughs> and I think it's a terrible idea to go into a room full of strangers uh, I don't want to do that. And so the the deal was if I went to four, then we could do couples counseling and maybe get my partner to a meeting. So I went to four meetings and after that, you know, it just, it wasn't about my partner anymore. It was about coming out of denial and, um, owning and letting the belief sink in that, that I had a problem. And it, it, I, didn't, I didn't get to read the laundry list my first meeting. I, I was very late to that first meeting, but the second meeting I heard it and it was the trait about para-alcoholism that was like, oh, never picking up the drink and yet acting like an alcoholic. You know, and that, I think that was my first big bite out of the humble pie I get to eat every day. <laughs> it was just like, okay, so, so that's me, you know. I don't qualify as an alcoholic, but somehow I am an alcoholic. Okay. And then at some other point, I remember somebody brought up, either we read it or somehow there's a passage in the big red book that talks about shame um, and the shame hit, like, and it's compared to heroin. 
And that was, that was the second big blow for me where I just, like all of the grief came out through my eyes and I just, I couldn't stop crying in that meeting. And I remember I had two people, you know, doing something that at the time we didn't know, you know, we weren't supposed to do it. They were both like holding me and I was, just, and I just bawled the whole meeting long and they like held me through that really long cry. And I think that kind of fits my first year in ACA was really coming to grips with um, the fact that I was an addict. I didn't qualify for any 12-step fellowship, but somehow I was addicted to something I didn't even know existed as an addiction. Um, and there was also, yeah, so we had, it was a small room we didn't have really books for sale, but we had trifolds. And, um, and you know, that's what I like. I'm a literature person. I like to read, um, sometimes to a fault. Sometimes it'll be a way for me to just get lost and dissociate. Uh, but I like information and learning. So I would pick up those trifolds and try to figure out like, okay, what is this program all about? I was not going to ask anyone. <laughs> I was not going to like pick up the phone and like talk to someone about it. I was going to figure it out on my own. Okay. <laughs> so I just like picked up those trifolds and started to understand like, what is the serenity prayer in the, in the essentials trifold? Like what are the promises? and just kind of started to study and understand my addiction. I mean, that's not what I was calling it or the disease. I wasn't calling it that either. And I started to understand uh, dysfunction. Like, what is that about? Which was something I always knew. Like, I knew my family was fucked up. Like, I knew alcoholism was not a good thing um, to have at home growing up. Um, but everybody kept making me feel like bringing it up was the problem and that somehow I was crazy for pointing out that people were drinking and they were drinking too much. Yeah, so I started to learn about the dysfunction in the trifolds and I learned how to work my program with the trifolds. There was a trifold called the tool bag. I talked about journaling. So I journaled a lot in the beginning. Um, and it talked about reading the literature. So I would do that. I would take a little bit of time out of my day even though I felt like I should be working or focusing on other people or doing something else. Um, I would just read the big red book. I would just kind of like open it up, whatever page and read, cry, read a little bit more, cry, or journal or like think. And it just kind of like sunk in. 
um, what dysfunction was and what, what I was living with, like the effects of growing up in dysfunction. I learned a lot about shame that I always had this um, feeling like I didn't belong anywhere. Um, even though I was a really good employee, I felt like every day I was gonna get found out um, like something was deeply wrong with my life. I also felt like my partner had to do X, Y, and Z, and then I would be okay. Like things were just wrong with him. And if he didn't fix them, I couldn't, like I couldn't get better. Um, and I had this kind of like, I don't know, it felt like a dark cloud over my head. And I couldn't ever make it go away. And it turns out, you know, that's something that the literature calls stuck grief or stored grief or um, inherited shame. You know, it's all the bundle. It's things that have been handed down generations after generations. So I came to kind of like came out of denial. I also, in my first year, started working the 12 steps in the yellow workbook. That helped a lot to really understand um, the generations of dysfunction. Doing the family tree in step one that was kind of, that, that was actually really relieving for me because there's a list of labels. Um, I, mean, I mean, that is a lot, there's a long list of labels that I was able to look at. And I would think about my aunt, my uncle, my parents, my grandparents, you know, and I could, I could give them like, at least five labels each. So they got like, they each got like five labels in that family tree. And then I could give myself labels too that I didn't know were isms, you know, like uh, relationships with food or spending. Um, at that point I was developing a pretty good, you know, my addictions were always under control. You know, they were never like unmanageable but they were definitely there. So at that time I was, you know, developing debting pretty well, just spending, living beyond my needs um, and just having a dysfunctional relationship with money, with food. I would like binge or not eat at all, binge, not eat at all, not eat well. Yeah, so in Indianapolis, that's kind of the recovery I worked, working different, working the steps. I found, um, I finally picked up the phone 
because people in the meeting were talking about that a lot. And then the people who were talking about it seemed to have their shit together a little bit, you know? So it's like, maybe there is something to this phone thing. Maybe I'll try it out. Tried that out and um, it was terrifying, but it did help. I also listened to uh, whatever speaker recordings you could find online at the time. And that helped a lot, hearing people's life stories and how they were working the program. Um, and then the Daily Reader came out and it was like, I mean, it felt like Christmas. It was like new ACA literature. Like we don't have to use the Roquel Learner Daily Reader or the Aladon readers anymore. Like we have our own ACA Daily Reader. So that was like my new tool. I would read it every day. And then I would journal a little bit or I'd make like a little flashcard that would help me like focus on the day. That was pretty cool. Um, then we had chips, you know? So like we started to order chips in our meeting. Um, so that was something to look forward to. Um, I definitely, I got myself, I picked up like all the chips. I think I was like six or nine months in and I was like, newcomer chip, six week chip, nine, you know, three months, six months. I just like took them all. I was like, I get them all. <laughs> I didn't get like my chip ceremony every time, but I made sure to get all my chips. Which is funny because I, you know, I was like, I don't need to go to a meeting. And then I'm like all excited about these chips. Six or nine months in. Um, and then we decided to start a sister meeting in Indianapolis, which was, it was a good growth experience for me to do a little bit of service and learn about how to start a meeting and, um, and notice, notice my tendencies that I would take to work that I didn't have to take to recovery. So I didn't have to be the absolute best uh, ACU member with other ACU members to try to start the absolute best ACA meeting, you know? Um, I just had to connect with my higher power connect with fellows in program, reason things out. You know, let's see if we can find a room first. Uh, just follow the steps that were laid out in the big red book. Okay, now we have a room. Um, let's start telling people we're starting a meeting, you know, just kind of like really, really keep it simple and step-by-step. And just feel okay with not knowing exactly what to do, you know, feeling good enough. I think my first year, that really helped me a lot too, the good enough principle. And I would hear that in shares, you know, I'm good enough. Um, and that, that helped me address my perfectionism 
and my workaholism and the shame, you know. So, um, I got to step four. I can't remember if it was my first year or my second year, but I do remember like working that step for, for a good year. Um, and if anyone's ever seen the worksheets in our workbook, like it's pretty easy to spend a year on it. <laughs> There's a lot of worksheets on that step. I didn't do it alone. I worked with a fellow traveler on it and we would, you know, we would meet when we could and go over them sometimes on the phone or sometimes we'd like have coffee and go over worksheets or read a little bit from that step. Um, and, and then I did step five, which was, I think that's, I think that's when I felt and started to really grasp what what a higher power was for me. Um, that's probably the scariest thing I ever did to tell my sponsor what was on all of those worksheets. And I remember beating myself up as I was saying what was on there, like. making it like, like, you know, like I was just, I was such a bad person, you know? Hmm. I think I was anticipating that's what she was thinking. And I figured if I just say it out loud, then she won't say it. <laughs> um, pretty sure she wasn't thinking any of that. Um, but when that step was done, it was like the sun looked different. It was like light looked different and it was hitting me different. Um, yeah, I didn't share everything that I wrote down in those worksheets. I kept some for me and for my higher power, but the parts that I did share just, it just felt good to like put it out there. It was like, it wasn't my burden to carry anymore. So about three years in, you know, I've got a good community in ACA and I'm given the opportunity to leave the country. You know, and um, that was terrifying. I was gonna go somewhere that didn't have any ACA meetings. And that was really sad to say bye to everybody. But I had also made genuine friends in this program that were like committed to their recovery as I was committed to my recovery. So 
I had created a Google voice number. Uh, there was no WhatsApp at that point, I guess, or maybe nobody had it. I don't know. There was WhatsApp. Anyway, I had this Google voice number and that's what we used to stay in touch. So I was still able to call my sponsor and um, people in Indianapolis. I, I even put that new number in the phone lists, you know, before I left and um, Oh my gosh, I'm just so grateful for those fellows who just kept calling, kept making reach out calls, even though I wasn't like around anymore. Um, and I started to go to phone meetings, ACA phone meetings. And I was on step nine at that point. And I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna, I was gonna be gone for a year. So I was like, I'll just take the year and just hang out in step nine and do amends to myself for a whole year. Um, so that's what I did. And part of my amends was to give myself Sundays. So Sundays, I did nothing. I would make some hot cocoa. I would read something silly and simple. And sometimes I would stay in bed all day. Um, I just made sure to do nothing. I also worked on paying attention to how I thought about myself, which was pretty pretty critical, um, just beating myself up a lot. So I just paid attention to that. Um, and I started to show up as myself more and more. in a different country. <laughs> um, and I just really worked really hard to stay emotionally sober, even though I wasn't around emotionally sober people. I mean, I couldn't, you know, I didn't see, I didn't have an ACA meeting that I could just go into a room and just be around emotionally sober people working that program. I went to a couple other fellowships, um, you know, like CODA and, and there was a Hope for Adult Children, Al-Anon meeting, but it just wasn't the same. But I still went just to, you know, put my butt in a seat and keep, keep that habit. And that year, I also decided to read the traditions in the big red book. I was like, I think this is a good time. I feel like there's like, oh, you know what it was? There was a speaker at a meeting that I went to um, in another fellowship, and that was the topic. They just decided to talk about the 12 traditions, and they prefaced it through like, I know this is going to be boring to most of you, but this is what I feel like talking about today. So I just, I started to read that part of the big red book. It turns out it had shares, um, which was great. And it had a lot of principles that I could use in my day-to-day -day 
in a different country. Um, I could use it at work. I could use it as I was meeting new people. Um, I could use it when I was traveling. So yeah, the 12 traditions were like a big part of my recovery that year. Yeah, I remember like riding the bus and just reading, I had the big red book on Kindle at that point and just reading those shares and being like, huh, who knew the traditions could be so relevant? <laughs> uh, there, was, there was one share particularly, I don't know what tradition it's from, but it talks about like, uh, only wanting certain kinds of dysfunctional people in our meetings. You know, that person is talking about that. I was like, oh, that was kind of me. Like, I remember being in the room and being like, well, this person is like a little too dysfunctional. <laughs> like, maybe they should find another meeting. Uh, not this one. <laughs> Just like uh, another slice of humble pie, you know, like who am I to choose who ends up in the rooms, you know? The only requirement is just like a desire to recover. So it's not up to me to judge people's shares or their recovery or anything. Like I just have to focus on myself and like work my program. Yeah, so um, after that whole year, I got another opportunity. So um, I did get to come back to my Indianapolis community for a little bit, but then I was called on to move to what at the time I thought was like the Mecca, the ACA Mecca, like the New York area, you know, like this is where the program started. Um, so I made like a whole list of, you know, all the meetings in New York, I was gonna hit them all up. And of course I set the unrealistic expectation of like doing this 60 and 90 as I was moving to another state after I moved from another country. Uh, but I was like, it's New York, whatever. There's a meeting every day there. I could totally do this. Um, and one of the first meetings I went to was up in the Bronx, which was great. You know, it was like, it was like I was in a meeting room where people looked like me. <laughs> it was great. Um, and they were doing the laundry list format, which was different. It was good for me to like get acquainted with a new way to work, work my program. And I, I found myself in so many different rooms in New York City and like little churches uh, in the village. 
Um, then there's this other room, like in Tribeca, that has like a skylight where you can see a fake blue sky, even though you're in the middle of New York City and it's a tiny room. Um, it was just like, it was really neat for me as an adult child in recovery to see all of these adult children. Like there were so many more adult children that were working this program. Um, and some of them had like decades, you know, decades in ACA. Um, but I still had to work my program, you know, and, and I missed, I missed my people that I started my program with. And I think at that, at that moment, it could have been really easy for me to kind of just let it go, you know, not find, not find a home group and just stick to talking on the phone with the people that I already knew and like go in and out of a couple of rooms in the city. Um, but then I found a meeting in Montclair that was struggling with a, a business meeting issue of a timer. And <laughs> it was like, I, when I left Indianapolis, my home group was struggling with a timer issue at their business meeting. And, and I get to that meeting and that was like their business meeting issue. And if you've never been to a business meeting in ACA, I highly recommend it. I think it's where I get a lot of recovery. Um, I get to sit and listen and watch people try to solve problems in a respectful way. I get to learn to listen. Um, I get to learn how to contribute and say, you know what? I was just at a business meeting that was having this exact same issue and uh, this is how they solved it. I don't know if this is how this meeting will solve it, but that's my two cents. You know, and that was my share at that meeting because I, I, missed, I missed the meeting. I just made it in time for the serenity prayer and then the business meeting and that, you know, that ended up being my share that day. And that turned into my home group. Um, the other reason I kept coming was somebody at that meeting asked if we could have coffee to, and maybe work the steps. And um, I was like, all right, I'm gonna have to keep coming back to this one. So I kept coming every Saturday morning um, unless I was traveling or out of town. Um, and that meeting like grew and it grew. And then we had an ACA event at our church. Um, then we started a sister meeting. Um, and then the pandemic hit. Ugh. 
you know, and that sucked. Like I really miss, I really miss driving to that church every Saturday. And I really miss being in that room. So that was year seven in ACA and I was not gonna quit. I mean, that was not, the pandemic was not gonna get in the way of my recovery. I was gonna go big. So, you know, I made sure that all of the meetings I was going to in person stayed. However, we were going to stay, if it was going to be on the phone or Zoom or what. And I remember like those first three weeks when we were in lockdown, I was, part of me was like, if I have to sit through another group conscience, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to lose it. I mean, every step of the transition for all of, I think I was going to three meetings, three local meetings at that time. Like every time we had to like do a group conscience for everything. Oh my God. And it worked out. I mean, that's the way you do it. Um, but for my false self, it was like, you know, and for me, it was just like, it was hard to just sit and just let go of all that control and, and hear different opinions. Oh, what are we going to do? But we did it. You know, all of the meetings are still going. In fact, now, like, our area has an intergroup. So it's, it's pretty crazy how that works. Anyway, so this past year, um, I've been working and looking at, like, different types of literature. Uh, one of them is that laundry list workbook that was in bubble wrap <laughs> for like two years. I bought it and I left it in its bubble wrap for two years. Um, and, you know, again, somebody asked me, was like, what if we started a meeting? And what if we did the laundry list workbook? I'm like, dang, well, now that you have asked me, like I kind of have to do the service and help with this and, I guess I'll work the workbook and, and I did it. You know, I worked through all 14 traits. I mean, that is the literature that like took me out of the game of dissociation. That's what it's called. You know, that's what the literature talks about. Like the 14 traits are my way of disconnecting from all of my feelings, from the present, from everything. And then there's another set, there's 14 more traits. Um, and so it just, working that workbook really helped me understand all of the intricate ways that I get out of my body because I'm traumatized, because I was traumatized as a kid and I carry that trauma. I have all of these intricate ways to get out of my body so I don't feel any of the trauma, but really like I'm actually hurting myself and other people in all these different ways. So, 
Yeah, that was that was that was a real challenge working that workbook. And I did not do it perfectly. I made sure to skip all the questions I felt like skipping. Um, and I just let myself be carried by the group. You know, we would meet every Wednesday and and go over the questions and the reading. And I almost stopped going to that meeting. You know, I like kind of like conveniently either had something going on at the time of the meeting or just had to sleep in. You know, I just had to sleep in (laughs) for like a good two laundry list traits, you know, for good, like, yeah. And then I came back for the end so I could say, you know, I worked that workbook. I really did. And I did it imperfectly, which I really like. And then I started working uh, the reparenting workbook. You know, same thing. It's just kind of like a group of people that were like, oh, you know, let's look at this. And, I, you know, when a new meeting pops up, I just tend to find my way in it and just kind of like, all right, you know, I'll tag along, see what this is all about. And that workbook is really helping me figure out. Um, the inner child stuff, you know, and really briefly, I'll be wrapping up here, but my inner child, well, now I know I have more than one, my inner children, but in the beginning, it was little Sarah. She was like always there. I mean, I think like two months in, I could feel her pure joy you know, before I, I could comprehend a higher power. I could comprehend a wounded inner child. That, that was like, yeah, that's definitely there. Um, but that workbook is helping me figure out how to parent myself. How to, how to, what is a parent supposed to do with an infant? What is a parent supposed to do with a teenager? And like figure out how to talk to myself when I'm talking to those different parts. And I think it's helping me with all of that negative self-talk. Yeah, and I'm not working that workbook well either. I mean, I hardly do the homework. <laughs> well, I'll meet I'll meet with a fellow traveler and like every once in a while we'll like go over it and that helps me. I got to say like having people in program and it's every time, you know, I don't it's like I don't know how I'm going to work my program now. Somebody's like, "Hey, Hey, can you help me with this? <laughs> I'm like, okay. And and then I'm grounded again. Yeah, higher power really works in people for me, seeing how different people are showing up for me in this program. 
So I wanted to close with just reading uh, what to me feels like where I'm at in my recovery today. It's on page 327 in the Big Red Book at the end of one of my favorite chapters, which is the solution chapter. It talks about a support system and, I, and I've got a really sweet support system in this fellowship. It says our support system may involve many different people in different capacities. That's pretty cool. By working the steps and coming out of isolation, we are learning to be more honest with ourselves and others. In nurturing healthy relationships, we see our ACA recovery seeping into other areas of our life. We begin to know what it feels like to have someone accept us for who we truly are, which is something I have in my relationship with the same partner I still, I still have today by the grace of a higher power and, uh, and my friends in the ACA program. And I feel like even my parents on some days accept me for who I truly am. Um, and then the last sentence of that paragraph says, we notice that others begin to seek us out to become part of their own support systems, which I've had a lot of this year. And I'm grateful for those people who are like, hey, can we talk? <laughs> they like, and they call me. It's pretty great. We find out what we like and what we can live without. Uh, one of the things that I really like these days is to hike with friends and program. And it's like my saving grace because we can't be in the rooms, um, but we found a way to get together anyway. I really like that a lot. And what we can live without, I, I can live without the news. You know, I can tell you that much one day at a time. I can live without that. And the last sentence is we lighten up. Um, and for someone who had a dark cloud over her head and like work was everything for me, being able to lighten up, that's like, it's a pretty big deal. Anyway, wow, thank y'all for um, walking down the AC memory lane with me. Thank you all for listening. That's all I got. Thank you for sharing, Sarah. Thank, Thank you. Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Thank you Sarah. Sarah. Beautiful share. Thank, Thank you, Sarah. Beautiful share. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. Thank Thank you. Sarah. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah.